So we are a church where anything can happen and sometimes does. Um, according to the, the great plans that we all made, I'm not supposed to be here preaching this morning. It's supposed to be Richard with a sermon you had two weeks ago. Um, but plan, plans have changed. Around about three weeks ago, um, at the prayer meeting before church, I thought God's starting to speak to me on a topic, so I then went and I did some reading. Um, I then briefly shared something uh, on the, uh, the, the church members meeting that week, and Alan has asked me to, to work that up into a sermon and to, to come into this slot, which uh, we didn't know was going to be free at the time. So, something is going on there with God. So, if you were at that members meeting, you will have heard some of this before. There will be a little bit more, because, um, as I said, Alan said he was not in faith for me to only last five minutes. Okay, um, we, we're going to start with a passage from Joshua, which is going to be on the screen there. It's Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and then 14 to 17. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. If you want to just read on the screen, you can do that. If you want to just listen as I read it, you can do that as well. If you want to do any, anything that's not those options, you can do that too. Okay, so this is about the people of Israel crossing the, the River Jordan and entering into the Promised Land. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And... <laughs> There's always one, isn't there? <laughs> Anything can happen, it usually does. Okay, and they came to the Jordan. <coughs> he and all the people of Israel. And they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Le Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it of about 2,000 cubits in length. Now, for those of us in the, uh, in the, in the modern world, that's about half a mile. Do not come near it in order that you should know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. Drop down to verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that's beside Zarephan. And those flowing towards the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. 
Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the people were passing over on dry ground until all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. And out of this passage, I want to draw out four points, and I'm going to elaborate on those in a moment. The first of the four points is that Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders among you. The second point is that it was only the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant who got their feet wet. Everybody else was on dry ground. The the third thing is that the water was cut off a long way from where the people crossed over. And the fourth thing is that every person who crossed over that riverbed had their own journey of faith while they did that. So why am I talking about this passage? It's a very good passage and we could do a nice intellectual Bible study on on what this means. What I felt was that God was speaking to me that it has direct application to us in Emmanuel Church at this time in in our walk with God. So let's think about where we are and how, how, we, how where we are relates to the, to the people then. They were about to go into the promised land. So what is, for us, the promised land? And in order to, to find that out, I'm going to remind you of many of the prophetic words that we have over the church. This is what God has promised us. And this is the promised land that we will go into. The first one is a word that came well over 20 years ago and which has in fact shaped the church. And I think if anybody hasn't heard it at least multiple times, then you must be quite new among us. And that is that God told us to go to the nations and he would give us Durham. Now at that point, Alan was definitely a home bird. He thought he needed his passport to cross the T's and, um, and he would, you would never have caught him going abroad. Apart from perhaps in his caravan to France. And now, both him and the rest of the church, we suddenly had our eyes lifted to look to the nations. It has been a complete transformational word. But we have yet, not yet seen the fullness of him giving us the city or the county giving us Durham. There's another word from much the same time which was given by somebody who used to be a member of this church at that time as now moved on elsewhere um, and this was that as we as a church grew we would be like a plant that is planted in a plant pot and as the roots grow so that it becomes pot-bound, we would be transplanted into a larger pot. And then, over time, we would fill that pot and we would be transplanted into a larger pot still. The next ones are coming slightly more recently in time, I think around about five years ago, that Ginny Bergen, who's a, 
recognised uh, prophet who is from one of the New Frontiers churches in Sheffield, she came and she spoke a very powerful word over us from Isaiah chapter 54, which said, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. As most of you know, we regularly have Mark Dupont, who is again a recognised prophet, coming every year to, to run a short conference with us. And over the years, he has spoken many words over the church, and there's two of those that I want to, to recall now. A few years ago, he said that we were like miners digging in the ground, and we were digging away, and very shortly, we would we would break through into a river of gold. And then, I think it was perhaps last year or even the year before, he said he saw a huge throne part inside and part outside this building and that God was making this place a resting place for God. But because the, the symbolism of the throne being inside and outside, it was not just for the church, but it was for the community around us. I'm sure there are many other prophetic words that many of you know over the church, but as I look at all of those, they're pointing in one direction. They're pointing to a time when we see an outpouring of God and we see people in this city and in this region come to know him in, in a much greater measure than we've seen so far. Keith has a prophetic word over his life that one day he will see revival. Revival is a difficult word because we actually, all of us, have a, a mental picture of what it's like by reading some of the old stories. And I can almost guarantee this, but I don't say that I can guarantee it. It will not be the same as it was on previous occasions because God is a God of infinite creativity. But I believe that we are going to see an outpouring of God. We're going to see that river of gold. We're going to spread out to the right and the left. We're going to see God take Durham. It won't just be this church. It will be other churches as well. But that we need to be prepared. That is our promised land. That is the promise that God has spoken over this church. And this is the promise that we live in. And, this is, and we are following to the best of our ability. So what's, what is hindering us in, in fulfilling that word? One thing is, this building is full. If we have a, an outpouring of God with, with tens, hundreds, thousands of people coming to know him, we would not fit them in. You may look around and say, there's plenty of chairs here. Well, there are. We have 80 to 100 children and they fill every other room in this place. Probably the most pressing thing is actually there isn't enough room for our children in here. And I would think it would be a tragedy to have to turn families away because there wasn't enough room for the children. And several Sundays we, this room is getting very, very full. 
We're not yet in the position where we're bursting at the seams, but we're heading that way. And so this building is a hindrance. And so God has given us a vision for a larger place. And that building is not the promised land. It is not the thing that we are looking towards. It is merely the tool that we need to get to where we we need to go into the promised land. The goal for the people of Israel was not to cross the Jordan. The goal was to get into the promised land. But in order to get into the promised land, they needed to cross the Jordan. Right? I want to make it very clear, we are not a building-focused church. We are a promises of God focused church and we want to walk in every way that he's going but we do need some practical things and that building is one of them when Elisha went to the the widow who had only a tiny bit of oil he said gather lots of vessels so that he could pour out the oil and he said don't gather too few because he would fill every vessel that she brought out. I believe God is going to fill whatever space, and I mean physical space, that we can give him. There is one more thing which I perhaps wouldn't say is one of the prophetic words over the church. It's more of the vision that we have at the moment. And this is Alan's vision for a community of 400 people. I think this is great. My vision is going beyond that. 400 is a step, but I, I, I believe we're going to see more than that. And I believe that that building over there is going to be too small before too long. So the people of Israel faced an impossible task. There was the promised land. They could see it. But there was this river that was in flood in the way. Physically, humanly speaking, we have an impossible task. In order to make that building usable, we need to raise a million pounds. And I'm not looking around and seeing very many millionaires around here. I may be wrong, I may be misjudging you, and if if so, that's great. And just like the, the people of Israel crossing the river, it was even more difficult than it would normally be because it was in flood. And if you want to see a river in flood, go down into Durham today. It's quite high. It's even more difficult than it would normally be for us because in January, we are planting out 50 people from here to form Redeemer Church in Chester Street. So suddenly our giving base is reduced by 50 people. With God, that's not a problem. But in the natural, naturally speaking, you wouldn't do this at this time. However, we're trying to follow God. As I was preparing this, I was just struck because in my day job, I'm involved with various other building projects. And... I was, I was struck by the contrast 
between the way we, we are attempting to raise money for this building and the way the world does that. In the world, we would have a, camp, a, a donations campaign and if you donated certain amount, you might get invited to a fancy dinner to say thank you. If you invited, if you, if you, if you, um, if you donated another bit, you might have your name on a plaque inside the door. And if you donated a huge amount, you might have a building named after you. And there are various buildings across the university which have got bland names at the moment because they're hoping for some big donations. We're, we're doing this in a very different way, but there is, in fact, just one similarity between that. This building is going to be called the Emmanuel Centre. It is going to be named after Jesus, who is the one who gave it all. He is the biggest giver. In fact, he is the only giver, because everything that we put into that offering is coming from him and the resources that he has, has chosen to give to us. So, it's very different. We're not going to have a fancy dinner. We're not going to have a roster on the wall. But we are going to name the building the Emmanuel Centre. Getting this money is a trivial thing for God. He has all the resources in heaven and on earth. So why? So what is going on at the moment? The thing that is difficult for him is to change our hearts because he has chosen to give us free will. And it would be easy for him to just give us the money like that. Actually, he wants to take us on a journey of faith so that we can trust him more and more. Because actually, this is about training us so that when we see this outpouring, we are more and more dedicated to him with more and more of everything that we are at his disposal. So let's come to my four points. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself, for today you, God will do wonders, or perhaps even tomorrow, you'll, you'll, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Today, tomorrow, it's all the same for him. Consecrate is not one of those words that you would actually find people in the street um, using. So I, I thought that I would get a dictionary definition um, about this. So I've got two dictionary definitions. The first one is from Collins Dictionary. So, oh, so missed that moment there, didn't you? <laughs> in, from Collins Dictionary. Uh, to make or declare sacred or holy to sanctify, to dedicate one's life or time, etc., for a specific purpose. And Webster says to devote irrevocably to the worship of God. And what I would like to encourage each of us to do is to consecrate ourselves before God. Many of us have done this many times, but I think it's a fresh season of consecration to say, here am I, I am yours, everything I have, all my time, all my energy, all my health, all my money, all, all my uh, God-given gifts, here are yours.
I believe that as we consecrate ourselves before him, he is going to do wonders among us. But consecration has practical consequences. This is what James says about faith. He says, says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So uh, When I was a young Christian, I found that was a very strange thing. Are we doing works in order to gain favour from God? No. We're doing works because of what God has done in us. As I was thinking about this, I thought here's an illustration to, to try to help, help you understand what this is about. When we see the wind blowing, we'll see a tree shaking. But if I went and I shook the tree, that wouldn't create the wind. And it's the same thing. If we have faith in ourselves, there are physical consequences and actions that can be observed. Like the tree shaking in the wind. We can't see the wind. We can see the effect of it. But if we just shook the tree, it wouldn't create the wind. I'm not asking you to, to work something up. I'm not doing something that's going to work up your emotions. I'm asking you to consecrate yourself before God. And that's going to have practical consequences. And I don't know what they are, and they're going to be different for each of us. And I'm not going to try to dictate to you what those consequences are in your life. The second point. The only people crossing the river who got their feet wet were the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. At the moment, particularly Alan and Jenny, our treasurer, who have been masterminding this, but to another extent, the rest of the elders, we are stepping out in faith. We don't, the river hasn't yet parted, and some rather damped feet down here. If we are doing this not at the, at the, at the instruction of God, and if he doesn't come through, we have a very large biscuit tin on our hands. A very expensive large biscuit tin on our hands. But we, but we believe that we're doing it in faith, just like the priest stepped into the river and at that point the waters parted. Whatever we are asking of the members of the church, the leaders are in there with their feet wet first. I just want to keep that as a perspective because I know, I, I mean I'm partly involved but I know Alan and Jenny particularly are heavily involved and we've actually seen God, God doing miracles already to get us this far but they are at the sharp end so, or the wet end perhaps to, to not mix my metaphor The third point, the, the water 
was gathered a very long way away. And if the water is representing the potential financial difficulties each one of us face, he's going to keep it a long way away. We were already praying for people who need financial provision in their life. I believe that God is going to keep the potential financial harm that you're facing, he's going to keep it a long way away. There's an interesting little point here, which I started musing on for quite some time, and I think I've come to a conclusion. But this may be, may be slightly far-fetched, so if you think it's a bit too far-fetched, you feel free to ignore it. The, the water was gathered up at a place called Adam, a town called Adam. This is the only place in the Bible where that town is mentioned. The name of the town is the same as the name of the first man, Adam and Eve, Adam. But that town is the only time it's mentioned. And I was wondering, is there some significance in that? Well, in the Bible, the, the word Adam is often used as a synonym for our life without Jesus. So in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, and as in Christ all are made alive. And I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that God is going to remove the financial obstacles that you're facing as far as he has removed your old life, which is as far as the east is from the west. And finally, each person had to make their own journey of faith as they crossed the river. Apart from Joshua and Caleb, none of those people were alive when the people of Israel had crossed the Red Sea, when a similar thing had happened. But what they had seen when they crossed the Red Sea was the people crossing and then the Egyptians following them all being washed away. Now, can you imagine that story being told and retold as the people were wandering around the desert? Can you imagine mothers telling their child, be good or else God might wash you away like he did with the Egyptians? There was a, an understanding of the, of, the, of the wonders of God but also the, the danger as well. Every one of them had to walk across that ground for themselves. And every one of us, as we come before God and say to him, I consecrate myself to you, all I have is yours, every, he's going to speak to each one of us to say what he wants us to give. It might be, he tells you to give nothing. It might be, like the, the young man who came to Jesus, he says, go sell everything you have and give it. Probably it's going to be somewhere in between. I don't know, and I'm not putting that onto you. It's, up to, it's your responsibility, it's your journey of faith before God. All I know is that with my journey of faith, I've been to him, and I have put into these envelopes what he's told me to put in this time and I talked to Chris and we, we were both in agreement and I know that several other couples around the room 
have done the same. Because I'm convinced that just as Paul said to the Philippians, my God is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches in Jesus. I want to slightly change tack and I want to now just clear up some potential misconceptions or things that people might be hearing me saying which I'm not saying just to make it very clear. Because whenever you talk about money and whenever you talk about the blessings that come from God as a result of Him being in charge of our finances the word prosperity gospel kicks in. And I want to make it very clear I'm not talking the prosperity gospel. What the prosperity gospel does, it has a focus on getting rich or prospering or getting things. And it tries to use biblical principles to turn that around. What I'm saying is we consecrate ourselves to God, we say He's Lord of our lives, and then we trust Him to do the rest. Our focus is not on the money, our focus is on Jesus. And if our focus leaves Jesus, we're in stuck. Our focus is on Jesus, we allow Him to do what He wants. I believe He's led us to that place. I believe He has a plan for, for us to finance that. And it might be, for some people giving a lot of money, it might be a little. Even that little could be sacrificial. Just like in, with, the, with the widow with the two coins. I'm not interested in who gives the most. I'm interested in who's focusing on Jesus. The second is, am I somehow saying we can twist God's arm to bring revival by getting a bigger building? No. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we believe he's promised many things over this church, over many years, and we have a consistent picture of prophetic words. Now, it could be all of those are wrong. It could be that we're mishearing or we're misinterpreting. In faith, I believe that this is what God has said and that that's what the promised land is for us. That he's going to do something. And we just have to line ourselves up with him and to see what, what he's going to do. And I'd like to talk about another group of people uh, in this story who, well, you can, find, you can read them, about them in Joshua chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, and this harks back to Numbers chapter 32. And that is the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh. These were people who, when they were wandering around in the wilderness, they said, actually, this is a really nice place. We don't want to go into the promised land. We're quite happy here. It's quite comfortable. We don't want to do that. And Moses said to those people, okay, well, the people who, at the very start, um, they responded to the, the ten spies who went into the land, what do you say? They, they sowed seeds of discouragement in the heart of the people. And he did not want these, these two and a half tribes to sow seeds 
of discouragement in the people. So what I would like to ask, I know there are some people who when we first were talking about going into that building and buying it, they were not, not keen on that. Please don't sow seeds of discouragement. Because for the, the people of Israel, it, those seeds of discouragement meant they had to wander around for 40 years. And I don't want to have to wait 40 years to see that revival. Please don't sow those seeds of discouragement. Because we're going on a journey. And I'd just like to invite you to join that journey. And what the, what the, the agreement was between Moses and those tribes was that they would send their, their fighting men and they would go into the promised land and help the people to win that land. And so I would like to invite you, even if you were not keen on us buying that in the first place, I would like to invite you to come on the journey, the journey of faith, to see what we believe is the promised land. Because God blesses unity. And unity is really important. So I'd like to recap then. As we think about the people crossing the Jordan, the first and foremost thing is consecrate yourselves because God will do wonders among you. The leaders have already got their feet wet by stepping out in faith. I believe that in faith, your financial troubles will be stored up a long way away and will not come to harm you. And each person has to make their own journey of faith as to what he's going to do with us. And finally, in the next chapter, in Joshua 4, he tells the people to pick up stones from the centre of the Jordan, one for each tribe, serve as a memory of what God was doing among them. We already have many stories and memories of what God did bringing us into this place. And I'm going to just remind you of a few of those. The very first person who gave any money towards this building was a teenage boy called Joshua, as it happens, who gave his week's pocket money to this building. And we celebrated that. Financially, it's not very much, but for him, it was a big sacrifice. Another slightly similar memory stone is if you go out into the foyer, you will see framed on the wall some Indian money. When Alan was out in a very, very poor village in India, he was talking about our project to buy this building. And they spontaneously held an offering. These are people who live from hand to mouth and have nothing. And they gave us what they had, and, that, and we felt that was too precious an offering to just put in as a few pounds, which would get lost among so many. So we have framed that to honour what they have done for us, the sacrifice that they have made. On the other side of the coin, we, 
We also have those, fam- those stories which we like to tell of a special offering, just like this one, where we raised £200,000 in a single offering. And that actually was a key to some of the, to some of the people who we needed to convince that this was viable, to, to see them, uh, them change their minds. And we, the other stories of us meeting and praying when the planning permission people were turning us down we prayed and those planners within a week got jobs elsewhere and the new planner who was favourable came in we have seen the miracles of God and the provision of God we are going to have stories like that and memories like that underneath your feet there are there are images and scriptures and promises of God we painted onto the floor before the builders came in. You are standing on the promises of God. And right now we're going to make another memory for you to, to hold on to to see the faithfulness of God. The doors at the back are open. We are going to walk over into the, into the other building. And when we're over there, I am going to lead us all in a prayer of consecration before God. And then I would invite you to pray your own prayer, do do your own business with God. And then after that, we come back, we have tea and coffee, we pick up the children. So the doors are open. If the stewards could help to, to just guide people across the way, Ian is there. He is going to lead us. He is our, our priest with wet feet. going to lead us into the, well, the, the Jordan at any rate. Not quite the promised land yet. <laughs>